So, and is it okay to call you Christian or? Yeah, Christian's perfect. All right, great. And here comes the co-host, Harvey Bennett. And we'll all be all ready to go. Excellent. Thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. You know, we, we got, uh, hi, Harvey. Hey. <laughs> uh, so Christian's on already. This is oh, Harvey wow. Bennett. Great. And um, so, yeah, Danny Scherzen recommended you as far as, you know, we we had him on the show about a month and a half ago uh, mm -hmm. talking about generic Biden foreign policy. And I, I just wrote him and I said, uh, Danny, we we, you know, since Israel and Palestine has blown up, we who should we contact? And he said, Christian Sorensen. So. <laughs> So, he's a very generous man <laughs> well very good very good yeah we're uh we're the veterans repeat <clears throat> radio hour we're out of nashville we're on a low power station you know to be perfectly frank our listenership is probably uh lots more outside of the nashville area because we're okay. in we're we're uh, part of the pacific uh network pacific network get, yeah yeah we okay. get uh we get picked up by uh at least at least six radio stations there we're also on anchor and soundcloud and you can even hear us on spotify oh excellent okay uh, and um and and if you've got a a podcast app on your phone mm -hmm. all you have to do is search veterans for peace and we'll we'll pop up there so um so we've got we've got a little bit of a following i think and nice so, yeah, we've been doing this for Harvey and I have been doing this for six years. This is our sixth year. Yeah. Of um, you know, every week. Every 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 week. <laughs> we've been trying to um, you know to uh, have shows that convey the uh, the uh, the mission of veterans for peace. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, so if if we're gonna if there's an opportunity to talk about peace or trying to get to peace or trying to avoid war. Yeah, uh, that's that's where we're at. Yeah, and a lot of it is also related to human rights and uh, injustice in general, which that and peace are very closely. <laughs> yeah, allied. So wonderful. Take a broad view of peace. Yep. So, are we ready to get going? I yeah, guess. Yeah, good on this end. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. So, what I'm going to do is I'll. I'll read a little introduction. Oh, our show is on Thursdays at one. Okay. But we, what we do is we, we record right now yeah. and then I'll do a little um, editing. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I do more editing than other times. <laughs> so, um, one, one central. But, yeah, one central and it's on radiofreenashville.org. But uh, what I'll do is, is as soon as I get this put together, I'll, <clears throat> I'll, se I'll send you a link. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, and it live streams on that. Yeah, and it live streams on radio. Well, where are you, Christian? I'm in uh, the Northeast. I'm in Rhode Island right now. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and um, and you're with the uh, Eisenhower Media Network. Correct. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. So the Eisenhower Media Network is a coalition of veterans who come from different backgrounds, military intelligence, um, some from the national security state more broadly. And the main mission is to try to get more uh, peace oriented and uh, more broadly anti-war veteran voices into the mainstream media. So we have, uh, yeah, Sherson, Danny Sherson, whom you mentioned, we have uh, Lawrence Wilkerson, the, uh, the Army Colonel, former Chief of Staff to Colin Powell, and many other bright minds. So it's a, it's a really good group. Nice. Sounds, it sounds like a good group. Yeah. So, all right. Are you a member of Veterans for Peace by any chance? I signed up many years back, and I still get the emails. I don't think I've paid dues in, uh, <laughs> in, a, fair, in a fair while, but um, uh -huh. yeah. This, this, consider this paying your dues. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Depending, Fair enough. Depending on how this goes, you might be a life member. <laughs> I'm with you guys. That's awesome. Um, 
All right, so I'm gonna get um, I'm gonna get started with a little introduction, and we'll okay. Then we'll just jump right in. Cool. Today we're going to talk about what is happening between Israel and Palestine with Christian Sorensen. Mr. Sorensen is an Air Force veteran and a senior fellow at the Eisenhower Media Network, an organization of independent veteran, military, and national security experts. Sorensen is the author of Understanding the War Industry. As a novelist and independent journalist, Sorensen focuses on war profiteering within the military-industrial congressional complex. Mm -hmm. His work is available at www.warindustrymuster.com. Now, we were introduced uh, to Mr. Sorensen by Danny Sherson, who was on our show about a month and a half ago, who said that he was the man we should talk to about Israel and Palestine. So while we are taping on Sunday and by airtime on Thursday, I suspect things might be a lot worse. Mm -hmm. But as of Sunday, according to The Guardian, 42 Palestinians have been killed today while Hamas continues to launch rockets into southern Israel. So Christian, let's hear from you. What's what started this round of violence if, in fact, there was a starting point? Sure. So the current spark would be twofold. One, there is an ongoing settler colonial Israeli movement to ethnically cleanse the eastern portion of Jerusalem. There is a neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah. And it's a Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem. And the settlers, along with the uh, full support, largely from the Israeli state, including Israeli military apparatus, are going in and kicking Palestinians out of their homes. So that's the first part. The second part would be about a month ago, Israeli forces moved to block Palestinians from worshiping in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is also in uh, Jerusalem. Now, this was during Ramadan. So they, for example, barricaded the Damascus Gate in the Old City, and eventually they sort of temporarily backed off. Then there was an unprovoked Israeli attack on worshipers at Al-Aqsa. That would have been Monday morning. And so they attacked the worshipers, uh, attendees, even journalists who were present. And the aim was to break the resistance and to pave the way for settlers to march through the city as they do from time to time. So the, uh, you mentioned Gaza, the resistance movements in Gaza basically issued an ultimatum and said, you know, you've gone too far. Even you, for a uh, settler colonial state, you've gone too far, even by your standards. And they said, you know, don't go any further. And um, the apartheid state didn't, it didn't listen. And so the resistance movements, including but not limited to Hamas, launched rockets at Israel. And it's important to note that these rockets, this first volley did not kill anyone. And since then, Israel has been bombing Gaza more or less nonstop using the most advanced weaponry known to man. And that's where we, you know, that brings us to the current situation and um, I'm happy to talk about more about the, the, the context. For example, <clears throat> Gaza has been under siege for 15 years now by the Israelis. And um, then you have in East Jerusalem, Jewish settlers, uh, around 220,000 of them have been colon have co successfully colonized East Jerusalem. So there are larger issues at play here. Yeah, go go ahead, go ahead and talk about the uh, you know the rest, uh, mm -hmm. Gaza, the West Bank, East Jerusalem. But you know, how long have these people, these Palestinian people, been living in their homes in East Jerusalem? Oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, this. So I mean, this goes back to the. Uh, you can go back as far as you want, but we can talk about the founding of the what is now the modern state of Israel, uh, nineteen forty-eight. In 1947, 1948, uh, Zionist militias basically successfully, to a large degree, ethnically cleansed what is now called Israel of Palestinians. 750,000 Palestinians fled their home, their homes or were forced to flee. 
into uh, neighboring states and into uh, parts of the West Bank, uh, into Gaza. There were Palestinians living in Gaza, but the majority of people who live in Gaza right now, the Palestinians, are refugees from other portions of greater historic Palestine. So we should step back a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, what is this um, settler colonial movement that is going on and what, what is the, you know, the origins of this? So it's, there's Zionism. Zionism is the ideology that states that the Jewish people, predominantly hailing from Europe, can colonize Palestine and entrench and expand that colonialism using the most brutal forms of violence known to man. And so this has been going on. Zionism was you know, fabricated out of thin air basically in the 1880s. And the original Zionists in Europe were, when they presented it to the larger Jewish community, were basically laughed out of the room. You know, Jewish people were like, you want us to do what? You want us to go where? You want us to set up what? And over time, only over time did Zionism gain uh, some traction within the, uh, within the broader Jewish community. Now, it's important to note that these days, particularly among young Jews, uh, many Jews would just categorically reject what Israel does. They say, don't do it, don't do it in our name. Um, and so it's very encouraging to see uh, a large degree of dissent, particularly among young Jews um, around the world, but also you know, in the United States as well, who say Israel doesn't represent us, Zionism doesn't represent us, we reject Zionism, and uh, we rely on Judaism, which is a, you know, a religion of peace. Okay. Okay. Now you said um, that the young Jews, the young young Israelis, mm -hmm. don't support this. Then no, young Israelis. So there, okay. we should draw a distinction. So there are many young Jews throughout the world, particularly in Europe and the United States and in Canada as well, who say we disagree with what Israel does. Don't do it in our name. We support Palestine. We are not Zionists. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there are many, those, those Jews who live within Israel proper um, tend to be farther right, tend to be very, very uh, hard line. And that is, that's the regrettable um, you know, split. So while there are many Jews throughout the world that say no to Israel, say no to Zionism, say not in our name, um, there are young Jews within Israel proper who are you know, fully on board with it. Okay, so the young Jews... In the young the young Israelis are on board with this, which is to really, a large degree, yeah, yeah, which is really really unfortunate. Um, so, what what is the mindset of the Israelis that are supportive of the attacks? Uh, you know, because I just don't get this. Um, if you're an Israeli, if you're a, if if you're a Jewish person and an Israeli, and you came from and you have a heritage, you came from Europe, you know what you went through. How could you turn around and do what they're doing to the Palestinians? Because it, because to me, it kind of replicates what historically happened to them, uh, not only in World War II but throughout uh, millennia to Jewish people in Europe. Sure. No, that's a great question. And to that, I would turn to um, some of the Jewish groups that exist in North America and Europe who say, for example, Jewish Voices for Peace or a group called If Not Now. And they say, look, it is a, it is a crying shame what Israel does right now. And it's based on the, idea, the ideology of Zionism. Zionism, you can't, you are you are elevating yourself within uh, the apartheid state of Israel to say, look, we are, you can't see the Arab as an equal. You have to dehumanize your enemy in order to then ethnically cleanse the land. So, you know, you see this every day. You see this, you know, these days in the, in the mobs, the Israeli mobs who are going around town, particularly the settlers who are chanting death to Arabs, beating up Arabs in the street. You can look at the words of the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, who was caught on camera this past week, or was it the, it was the week before, lamenting that a Palestinian man was shot in the leg during protests and not shot in the head. You can look at the words of Benny Gantz, who is the current defense minister from the Blue and White Party, which is a so-called centrist party, who has said on record, Gaza will burn, you know, just coming out and saying it, 
And those words will be very interesting to the you know, International Criminal Court, which is looking into uh, allegations of war crimes in, uh, you know, perpetrated by the Israeli forces now and back through previous escalations of this um, Mm-hmm. of the settler colonial project. So there's, there are plenty of people on record sort of um, giving voice to or as verbally just espousing what, what is said um, according to the tenets of Zionism. So it, it all comes back to, to that project. If you're going to ethnically cleanse the land of the native Arab, you have to view them as less than human and you treat them as such. And that's why it is so... Uh, for lack of a better word, easy for the Israeli public to bomb Gaza with complete and utter disregard for human life. Good Lord. So, <clears throat> Can you give us any insight into uh, what's going on in uh, places like Lod, where you know, the places in Israel proper between uh, these right-wing uh, Jewish, I think many of them settlers and the Arabs that uh, these are communities that have been mixed for decades and, and have lived in relative peace. Sure. Now, uh, all hell is breaking loose. Yeah, so it's important to note that you have different pop. You, Israel has successfully up until this point, shattered the Palestinian body politics. So there are Palestinians living inside the 48 lands of Israel who um, the international press will call Israeli Arabs. Okay, that's one body. Then you have Palestinians who live in the West Bank. And so those would be, you know, Palestinians in the West Bank. And then you have the Gazans, Palestinians living in Gaza. And one of the encouraging signs on the Palestinian side these days, within the last week, amid all the tragedy, is the unity that Palestinians have shown uh, supporting one another. So in previous years, when, for example, in 2008, 2009, the Israelis killed over 2,000 people in um, you know, the bombing of Gaza, the West Bank was not as uh, vocal about supporting the Palestinians in Gaza. So again in 2014 when another couple thousand Palestinians were killed in Gaza primarily by Israeli airstrikes the same thing you you didn't have that kind of um, supportive solidarity collective voice among the Palestinians and then it's important to point out as well that while Israel and the U.S. government have have successfully courted and brought in some Arab regimes to the Israeli side, such as the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, there have been uh, you know, peace treaties signed, Jordan signed one in the 90s, Egypt signed one you know, decade and a bit prior. Uh, and these are anti-democratic regimes, by the way, they don't represent the, the Arab people by any means, uh, particularly the ones in the Gulf, Saudi Arabia, um, UAE, these are kleptocracies that uh, uh, certainly do not represent the voice of the Arab street. While that has happened at the, at the top level, the Arab street, the Arab uh, people from Morocco in the far west all the way to you know, Oman in the east have come out in solid support of the Palestinian people over the last week. There have been demonstrations that have really brought uh, a strong degree of, of Arab unity to the, to the forefront. So that's really, really encouraging. Now to, to complete the answer to your question, in many of the cities and towns that were fully or partially ethnically cleansed during the, uh, the Nakba, the 1947-1948 um, uh, initial round, really initial round of ethnic cleansing of Palestine, there are still uh, Arabs who, who live behind within the 1948 uh, you know, borders of what is now considered Israel. Now, these quote-unquote Israeli Arabs constitute about 19 to maybe 20% of the population within those uh, borders, give or take. They exist largely, but not entirely, as you know, an underclass. They are economically disadvantaged. They do not have they do not share the same rights that are afforded to uh, Jewish people within 
Israel proper. And uh, for example, the nation state law that Israel passed in 2018 basically codifies apartheid. It says, clear out. And this is one of the things that uh, you know, Jews in Europe and North America reject. Um, almost not, almost but not entirely across the board. They say, you know, if you in the nation state law passed in 2018, categorically say that Israel's for Jewish people and, and no others with Jerusalem as its whole and unified capital and not the capital of the Palestinian state, whenever and wherever that will actually, um, you know, come to be, you know, we, we, we reject this. And so the people, the quote unquote Israeli Arabs who live within the, the 48 lines are existing and de facto and de jure uh, as second class citizens. Now we hear the term intifada. Mm -hmm. uh, could you explain what that means? And are we looking at a third one? So there have been a variety of escalations over the years and a variety of waves wherein the Palestinian body politic fights back uh, more forcefully. So Palestinians use a variety of ways to resist the apartheid state. There was an intifada in 1987 through that would have been 1993. That was the first one. Then there was another one in 2000 through, I believe, 2005. Now, intifada, it's, a, it's an Arab word. It, it's, it means basically when you rise up and shake something off. So there's a, there's a great imagery to that word. And it's basically these, these are phases of Palestinian resistance where they employ more um, visible demonstrations, rock throwing sometimes, and sometimes uh, more uh, visceral forms of, of violence when you're, when you're shaking off your oppressor. And it's important to note that under international law, you have every right to take up arms against your military, against the military that occupies you. Every right. There's no, you know, there's no um, debate about that whatsoever. So while it is very easy for the Western press to demonize Palestinians as violent or as terrorists, they are, you know, largely nothing of the sort, absolutely nothing of the sort. They have every right um, when they decide, and it's more or less on, you know, occasion, when they decide occasionally to use uh, violence against their, against their occupying force. As to, you know, predictions of another intifada, I would say that is for future historians to determine. Um, in these moments, you know, Western pundits typically come out of the woodwork and many of them will say, hey, you know, Bill, we're looking at, uh, you know, Frank, we're looking at uh, the third intifada here. But that's not, you know, you know that's not for me to say. Um, the visibility of Palestinian resistance ebbs and flows over time. And if the forceful, visible resistance stretches over the years, then yes, this could be determined uh, or deemed in the future to be the third intifada, but you know, I will make uh, no predictions. And frankly, that's up to up to the um, up to the Palestinian body politic to determine the you know the fate and the course of their current protests. Okay, all right. Uh, you mentioned the unity. What's the level of support for Hamas? Because I've heard in the past that <coughs> some people support and some people are well, not quite as supportive. Right. So. A little history first. So Hamas is a nationalist political party. It was established in 1987 as sort of a counterweight to the PLO at the time, which was sort of the main forceful uh, uh, unit, for lack of a better word, that was countering um, Israeli's uh, settler colonial state. And Hamas is demonized uh, in the Western press largely because it believes in a form of political Islam. So it's very easy for the Western press to conflate Hamas with, um, you know, ISIS terrorists or Al-Qaeda terrorists or any of those ilk. Whereas in reality, they're n largely nothing of the sort. They are a, a political party that happens to engage in uh, legal under international law, armed resistance against the you know, occupying force. So support for Hamas varies widely across historic Palestine. Now, I would never uh, try to speak for Palestinians, but I can attempt to convey what Arab media has shown to be Palestinian views 
Um, so Hamas, it's viewed somewhat favorably insofar as it is against corruption and it pushes back against the apartheid state, against the oppressive uh, force that is known as Israel. Hamas is not even close to being universally supported. And that is in part because of its uh, conservative religious orientation. So Palestinian society, like every society and like many Arab societies uh, from Morocco to Oman has a mix of the secular and the religious. And so even in the Gaza Strip where Hamas nominally rules, there are various factions and you know, they play politics as usual among them. Uh, I'd like to note that Hamas offered a ceasefire very early on in this escalation, which Israel rejected. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's coming on the news these days and blaming Hamas left and right, that's, that's disingenuous. Um, yeah. Okay. The U.S. is and the U.S. has blocked efforts to for toward a ceasefire. Correct. So the Biden response has been uh, one of continuity with past administrations. Whether it's you know George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden didn't roll back any of Trump Pompeo uh, major plans or major moves. So during the Trump uh, regime, they concluded that the Golan Heights which is in uh, Northeast uh, historic Palestine, uh, concluded that mm -hmm. it's you know, part of Israel now. And the Trump administration unilaterally said, all right, it's part of Israel now. Um, when in, in fact, it's usually part of uh, Syria and it was, it was taken over by military force during one of the wars. Uh, the Trump administration also moved the US embassy to Jerusalem. Now that's contentious because the Palestinians claim Jerusalem as, par as part of their future state. Um, and it's their capital. And that, that was hugely controversial. And Biden didn't roll back that at all. So yeah, like you, were, like you noted, um, US Secretary of State Blinken uttered the usual pablum uh, early on. You know, we strongly condemn the rocket attacks. You know, they target innocent Israelis. Israel has the right to defend itself. You'll hear that refrain again and again and again. There's never any mention of Palestinians allowed to defend themselves. There's never any context, any history, any understanding that this is not, you know, um, two heavyweights going toe to toe. This is one nuclear armed uh, first class, technologically advanced military apartheid state against a people that have no air force, no army, no navy, uh, don't control their own borders, are subjected to ethnically cleansing, ethnic cleansing throughout the every day, uh, and have been since, uh, you know, 1948. And so that's the that's the uh, the context. Even U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, former uh, uh, director on the Raytheon board, uh, went to um, or he voiced his quote unquote ironclad support for Israel early on in this escalation. And yeah, like you mentioned at the U.N., in fact, the U.N. Security Council met today. This would be so today's Sunday. Um, you know, this uh, the 16th, they met today, they said, the US delegation again, uh, blocked any um, statement, unified statement to come out of the Security Council and has used its position historically on the mm -hmm. uh, Security Council to protect Israel, uh, again and again, from even the slightest, um, you know, diplomatic scolding. And uh, yeah, US Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said that, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. is working to end the conflict behind the scenes, this and that, but gave no, um, no indication that it will use its position as the premier superpower in the world to exert any public pressure or even private pressure on Israel to stop the, uh, the atrocities. Yeah. You know, one of the things that struck me recently uh, is that uh, the U.S., Biden, Blinken, uh, these officials, they can't even mention Palestine or Palestinian. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't even recognize that they exist. It's like Israel is defending itself against this mysterious force mm -hmm. that isn't isn't Hamas. Everything is Hamas. Yes. And, yeah. and it's it's, uh, you know, and it's it's really disturbing because it does it thus then conveys to American people subtly, at least in my view, 
that the people that Israel is attacking are not really people. Mm-hmm. And, and we've all been in the military. We know what dehumanization is, characterizing, getting to the other mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> is all about. And I'm thinking, it's right there. You look at well, you. The other thing Israel always uh, bring, brings up as a defense is that uh, Hamas, you know, is in these uh, high-rise apartments, has offices. They're using human shields to protect. Nope. Yeah, that's totally illegitimate to call that human shield. These exactly. Living. Quarters. Yeah. It's very, but it's very effective propaganda. It's very, and, and largely the Western press has, has embraced that. It's, yeah. I mean, even a cursory examination of the facts will say, you know, hey, you know, these are, for example, media newsrooms, you know, the international press, a, a high rise housing, the AP among others was just demolished by, uh, you know, Israeli fighter planes. Yeah. Now using, Zira too, I think. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> using US ordinance too, I mean. Right. Uh, Doctors Without Borders Clinic was just um, bombed, uh, you know, a portion of that. Thank God nobody was killed in that one. But that just happened today on Sunday. So, um, yeah, it's very it's very disingenuous. But, um, you know, to answer your question about uh, viewing the Palestinians as subhuman. Yeah, like you said, I mean, you you alluded to the U.S. military uh, having a having done that in some of its wars overseas, particularly in, you know, early Iraq, the invasion and occupation of Iraq in you know, 2003. But it's also, uh, to take a broader historical perspective, it's also sort of in our mindset from day one, because whether we like it or not, the U.S. is itself a settler colonial state. We ethnically, ethnically cleanse the Native Americans. And so it's, you know, not to, you know, use a trope or a, uh, or a you know trite phrase that it's you know in our blood or anything like that, but we we have never as a nation come to terms with our own history as a settler colonial <clears throat> power and our own ethnic cleansing of the natives who were here first, and because we're not taught about that fully and uh, thoroughly in our school system, whether public or private schools, uh, we can't uh, you know we then you know, how are we then going to even approach, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and even, you know, approach that with uh, clear Mm -hmm. eyes. So there's that. And then there are obviously, you know, at the higher levels of government, there are uh, serious lobbying efforts going on. And it's not just the Israeli lobby, which is very organized and knows what it's doing. And, um, you know, you'll have politicians talk off record uh, and be like, look, you know, I just don't want to, they will agree with Palestine. They will be on Palestine's side, but they just do not want to expend the political capital to confront the Israeli lobby. And then on top of that, you have the U S war industry, which plays a huge role. And this is what I study. It plays a huge role in, uh, crafting policy in Washington, DC. And part of this has to do with, with Israel. I mean, why do we as U S taxpayers give $3.8 billion B with a billion free gratis to Israel every year. That is because they turn around and use that money to purchase goods and services from the U.S. war industry. So it's, a, it's an indirect transfer of $3.8 billion through the apartheid state back into the U.S. war industry, where you have uh, Israel will purchase, for example, Boeing Apache helicopters, Lockheed Martin fighter jets, Raytheon missiles, Northrop Grumman radar, and on and on. General Dynamics land vehicles, L3 Harris technology for monitoring people across, uh, you know, checkpoints and you know, signals intelligence technology across the board. So there's there's a there's an array of uh, interests uh, working within uh, Washington D.C. to make sure that uh, even if somehow our politicians do view Palestinians as uh, something more than subhuman that they will not act upon that in the uh, political realm. I just found out the solution. I just found out the solution. I know how I get in this. Yeah. We get Hamas to set up a contract with Raytheon. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, you know, I mean, unfortunately, like uh, that, uh, that really does, you know, sort of get to the heart of the matter. And I know, obviously, you know, you were speaking in jest, but there's, there is, um, you know, a grain of truth in in what you were shedding light on, in, in that the if you want to uh, direct U.S. policy, foreign policy, you have to know where the uh, you know the purse strings are, and you have to know the players. Good lord, like the Saudis. Yeah, the Saudis. 
Exactly. Exactly. And they know, yeah, I mean, it's no secret to uh, giant corporations or to foreign governments as to how to manipulate Washington, D.C. Uh, as George Carlin said, the, you know, the politicians are there to give you the illusion that you have choice. You have no choice. You have to, you know, if you have to know where the, where the money is, you have to know uh, what the pressure points are. And, you know, the Israeli lobby, the war industry and any uh, giant corporation plays Washington strings and you know where the pressure points are, you get what you want. Well, you know, what, what about Congress now? I mean, this, we are <clears throat> kind of breaking new ground with what's being said on the, on the floor of Congress but regarding Palestinians. Thanks. Yeah, it's, I mean, yes, we are, you are, you're correct. We are breaking uh, new ground with regard to um, the acknowledgement that from a few uh, progressives within uh, particularly the house that, uh, you know, Palestinians don't deserve this and that Israel is the, is the aggressor. Now that's huge. And I don't, uh, I don't discount that, but I have to, um, remain cautious. And until that, uh, you know, those words are translated into bills, into political action, into concrete uh, results, then, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too excited too soon. And, you know. Is anyone trying to uh, bring forth any legislation in that area? There, there's no. been um, some talk recently. Okay, so there are two uh, main rules with regards to the, what the U.S. war industry sells in terms of goods and services to any nation. So there's the Arms Export Control Act and there's the Leahy Law. And they both basically say recipients of war industry goods and services, U.S. war industry goods and services, can't use them. They, they must use them in self-defense. They can't be the, uh, you know, the, the bad guys in the situation. And the Leahy law particularly says the, it can't go, U.S. goods and services, war industry goods and services cannot go to regimes that commit grave human rights violations. So there has been talk, at least today and a little bit yesterday, uh, particularly Representative Ro Khanna of California has been in some um, talks with, hey, maybe we should apply the Leahy law to Israel, because there's no way, I mean, he didn't say, you know, the following words, but there's no way that Israel is using these, um, you know, goods and services, whether it's Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, and, and Dawn down the line as self-defense. And there's no way that Israel is uh, not a premier human rights violator. So there's some talk, but I have not seen, um, you know, much action. It'll be interesting to see, since we record this on Sunday, the 16th, it'll be interesting to see what happens this coming week with regards to possible legislation, but I am, uh, I am uh, cautious in my uh, optimism. Yeah. yeah. Well. So, so, you know, looking back, it's like Israel has been manipulating us since 1948. I can remember as a high school student, as a senior in high school, when the 67 war broke out, the six day war and across the board throughout my high school we were getting news updates and cheering when israel had a victory when israel shot down planes when israel's you know troops overtook egyptian troops um and so and and when you look back at history you realize that was all a scam that israel set that up yeah. And so it, 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 have we have we really been manipulated by Israel all these years or are we just complicit? Well, we also had the you know, that was up, the, the ground for that was laying over many decades in the uh, way the Arabs have been portrayed in, in oh, sure. media, uh, news, film. Absolutely. No, there's a. <laughs> a manifold um, propaganda effort that, yes, like you said, spans all sorts of media. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say that we are necessarily, yes, Israel, okay. So Israel does work to keep the US ruling class in line. So the US ruling class is allied 
very strongly to apartheid Israel. But that doesn't mean that there aren't occasionally cracks in the, in the alliance. And so Israel uses espionage, uh, media trickery, uh, all sorts of um, lobbying efforts in order to make sure that that alliance stays, stays strong. But I must, I must reiterate that we are very will, we are very complicit in this. I mean, we are, it's not like we're a bunch of, um, you know, fools 24 seven that um, don't know what's going on. You know, we, there are, there are serious interests in Washington DC that uh, within the US ruling class that make sure as well that that alliance, uh, you know, keeps going. And it's no sweat off of the US ruling classes back until this point. And that's key. You know, the US ruling class doesn't, not only do they not care about Palestinian life, they don't care about Arab life, you know, in general. So it's, um, yeah, there, there are instances of Israel, uh, you know, working the U.S. for all it's, you know, all it's worth. And these include, but are not limited to, uh, you know, the Levant affair, which was 1954 in Egypt. It was a false flag operation. The USS Liberty, you mentioned the war of 1967. USS mm -hmm. Liberty was a espionage, uh, U.S. espionage vessel, a surveillance vessel in the Eastern Mediterranean that the Israelis attacked. There's a great documentary featuring some of the survivors called Dead in the Water that goes over this very thoroughly. But long story short, the Israelis attacked it in the hope uh, that they would draw the U.S. into the war uh, against the Egyptians and make sure that, uh, you know, victory was absolutely, absolutely uh, uh, guaranteed. You know, then you also have evidence of espionage against the uh, U.S. body politic and against, you know, the, you know, certain members of the ruling class. You remember Jonathan Pollard, who was a Navy, right. U.S. Navy intel analyst. He uh, passed tops for many years, passed top secret information to Israel. Israel uh, granted him citizenship in 1995 and then uh, lobbied for his release, which they, I think it happened under the Obama administration in 2015, if I'm not uh, I'm not uh, mistaken. And according to investigative journalist Cy Hirsch, uh, in his memoir, Reporter, Israel ended up passing on many, uh, much of that information to the Soviet Union in order for Moscow to then expedite Jewish immigration to Israel. So it's not like Israel uh, uh, cares uh, inherently for you know, the US or the US body politic. They're playing politics just like uh, any other nation and should be treated as such. And because of that, one of the steps forward that we can and should embrace uh, is to make sure that Israeli lobbying organizations such as AIPAC are registered as agents of a foreign government that would go very, very far in uh, you know, making sure that it's a more, uh, uh, you know, everything's more on the, on the up and up. And that's one of many steps we could take, so. Well, how about BDS? Because, you know, BDS is so vilified, but it was a, a, a similar program uh, to the current BDS that helped, helped South Africa and its apartheid. And, um, and, and speaking of that, uh, if I can jump back to apartheid, you mentioned that sure. over and over. Uh, can you explain the level of apartness or, or separateness that is actually going on in between Israel and Palestine. Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, for that, I would even turn to um, what the premier Israeli human rights group uh, says. So that's, it's an organization called B'Tselem. And they say, uh, they came out with a report early on in 2021, early on in this year, I think it was January of this year, they said that they categorically reject the perception of Israel as a democracy. And they say that they have reached the conclusion that the bar for defining the Israeli regime as an apartheid regime has been met. And so they consider the accumulation of policies and laws that Israel has devised in order to entrench its control over Palestinians. Then you had Human Rights Watch, which is very mainstream and in some cases very um, bland human rights organization, very, very tepid on when it comes to confronting, you know, real sources of, of authority like the U.S. government. Human Rights Watch came out and said, 
the laws, the policies, the statements by leading Israeli officials make plain that the objective of maintaining Jewish-Israeli control over demographics, political power, and land has long guided government policy. In pursuit of this goal, authorities have dispossessed, confined, forcibly separated, and subjugated Palestinians by virtue of their identity to varying degrees of intensity. In certain areas, as described in the report that they issue, these deprivations are so severe that they amount to crimes against humanity, apartheid, and on and on and on. So uh, I, for, for the broader um, look, it is, uh, I turn to those human rights organizations. Now on the ground, I was fortunate to uh, teach in the West Bank for a couple of years. And so I saw and uh, was fortunate to be educated by Palestinians uh, about the nature of the of the apartheid state. So those uh, Palestinians living within Israel 48 are under, not only are they second-class citizens, but they are, are viewed sort of as a, uh, maybe mm. a third rail is probably <clears throat> one of the ways to describe it. They are, they're not viewed as, you know, Israeli Israelis. They are not viewed as part of, uh, you know, the society. They're sort of viewed as, uh, you know, the underclass. They're not afforded the same economic opportunities. And remember they're living, um, you know, ultimately in a state that is not their own, they, that was, you know, colonized by uh, an outside force. And the Israeli espionage agencies, which are by some accounts uh, top-notch, uh, world-class, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Shinbet, which looks inward, or Mossad, which looks outward, have um, those populations under, under severe monitoring, including but not limited to uh, electronic communications. Now, same with the West Bank, except the West Bank has it um, even worse in some, in some ways because there are a series of checkpoints and roads that are set up. So there, I mean, if you want an example of apartheid, Jewish only roads, like if you are not a Jew, you're not allowed to go on these roads. I mean, that's, that's uh, it doesn't get more explicit than that. And then the checkpoints. I mean, if you look at these checkpoints and I went through them, they're just cage after cage. And, um, you know, the, the Palestinians are, are monitored. You can't go on your own land, what remains of it, these little, you know, um, mm -hmm. islands of what remains of non-contiguous Palestinian uh, land. Uh, you know, if you want to go from one to the other, you got to go through, uh, you, know, you, you first of all, you're living under military occupation. And second of all, you have to go through, you know, all of these loops and, uh, and hoops. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's very visceral. I've learned then, a lot from this... Uh... Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, this uh, Plus 972 uh, journal. Yes, excellent. Uh, they just have an excellent uh, coverage of, of uh, the horrendous things that happen in, in the West Bank and in Israel proper in terms of uh, the occupation. And, you know, some of the most heartrending ones are, ch are children who needed cancer treatment or cancer surgery and they wouldn't let them, you know, <clears throat> go to Jordan or wherever they needed to go exactly. uh, to get treatment. Yeah. Uh, Israel um, controls all of heart, the, all the it's borders. It's so heartless. It just makes you sick. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because it shows that Israel controls, you know, every aspect of Palestinian life. You know, they, yeah. they not only control the borders, they control the airspace. I mean, if you look at Gaza, some of the Israeli apologists will say, hey, you know, we don't occupy Gaza anymore. There are no, um, you know, <laughs> Jewish colonists in Gaza, but Gaza's borders, airspace, water, uh, electricity, um, fishing um, rights, you know, if you go out further than, uh, I think it's three kilometers these days, uh, you know, the Israeli military will shoot you if you're, you know, how are you supposed to maintain a living as a Gaza fisherman if you're not allowed to go in your own waters? Um, and they, and the Israelis have it down to really, literally a science, the caloric intake of um, foodstuffs that are allowed into Gaza are monitored and made sure that, you know, they're not getting excess, you know, nutrients. Um, certain construction supplies are not allowed in because Israel's claim that it's, you know, dual use material. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. They had, you know, A10 paper for a while was not, was not allowed in. I don't know if that's still not allowed, but it's really, um, it's a brutal, brutal siege that's been going on for 15 years in Gaza. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I would never ever judge anyone who is, um, you know, engaging in armed resistance Mm. Um, against the, you know, their, their oppressor. You not only are allowed under international law to do so, but uh, you know, mm. I would, you know, 
I admire their, um, you know, their steadfastness because they just, um, you know, they, they won't quit. And you can't, uh, despite all of the Israeli atrocities, mm -hmm. the Palestinians refuse to, uh, you know, concede their lives. We, my family had the pleasure of uh, being what they call a friendship family with a man from Gaza uh, when we were in Nashville under a program at Vanderbilt and many other call, uh, universities called the Humphreys Fellowships. Excellent. And... Uh, you know, I was just amazed that he was able to get out of Gaza to do this. He, he described what that took. I mean, you know, he was turned away time after time after time, even though he had all the State Department documents and everything. Sure. But he would go, and Jim, you came to one of his presentations, remember, at the Unitarian Church? Sure did. Met him, Islam, wonderful, just a wonderful person, but he was able to present just, you know, just nothing but facts. And he had, uh, you know, a slide type presentation, like just showing the maps of the West of Gaza and the West Bank and, and uh, the settlement, you know, over years and how gradually the settlement areas are becoming larger than, <laughs> than the West Bank itself. Of course, Gaza is technically not settlements now, but it's a, as you, you know, Pope Francis has called it an open air prison, but, uh, <clears throat> but he never had any anger or, uh, you know, nothing threatening about his presentation. It was just, uh, just facts that, that you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't ignore. Yeah. Just, he just described the way they live. Yeah. They have to live. Yeah. And you're thinking, good gracious. And, he was able to, I know I personally would not have been able to describe those living conditions without getting, let's put it this way, animated. And, and, but he was calm and just resolute. Um, I mean, it's. And his, wife, his wife was in Gaza and was uh, expecting actually yeah. while he was with, here, here in Nashville with uh, the Humphreys program. And she wanted to come and you know, see him, and they, they would not allow that. No. Uh, no. Others, uh, we had a woman from Iran whose husband and children wanted to come, and they ended up going to Canada, and he was able to go up to Canada to see them, but they couldn't come here. Mm -hmm. That Harvey brings up Iran. Uh, Christian, is Hamas tied in with Iran? So... Yes and no. I mean, it, the Hamas in the past has received, uh, has conceded that it has received some uh, weaponry, some assistance from um, Iran. But that is that to bring Iran into the equation is to open up a whole another can of worms. Iran is by is not. Um, you know, behind Hamas. Hamas is, uh, you know, is Palestinian. Um, Iran is another demonized enemy, uh, you know, official enemy within the Western press. Iran has suffered at the hands of uh, U.S. imperialism, whether it was the 1953 coup or, um, you know, it's, it's incredible demonization since, 1975, since 1979 when the Iranians rose up and kicked out the U.S.-backed uh, despot, the Shah of Iran. And, uh, you know, since then, uh, it has been uh, U.S. policy, official and unofficial, to make sure that the Iranian state, uh, you know, suffers. And that's another reason, that's another uh, strain of continuity between the Trump and Biden administrations. I mean, the uh, Biden has not uh, relaxed the maximum pressure campaign that Trump has put on Iranian uh, civil society to, um, you know, make them, make them just basically strangle them. I mean, sanctions, U.S. sanctions, who is the United States government to sanction another nation? I mean, U.S. government is the greatest purveyor of violence around the world. How can you sanction the Iranians, especially during a pandemic? I mean, geez Louise, you're, you know, the people are, people are dying and you're going to deny them, uh, you know, medical uh, aid. You're going to kick them off of SWIFT, which is the uh, network that is used to transfer money around the world. You're going to not allow them to access international money exchange. I mean, you you have the, the the destruction of the Iranian economy at the hands of the United States is uh, one of the great crimes of humanity in the modern time. I mean, there there are thousands of people dying in Iran 
because they have been forced into poverty at the hands of the, of the U.S. government. So um, I wanted to quickly answer, you mentioned BDS earlier, and I, um, yeah. I, was, uh, I got uh, you know, down, a, down a bit of a tangent, but I wanted to just address it um, and sort of just clarify it for, for your listeners. I know you two, um, Jim and Harvey, are familiar with it, but I want to make sure that um, others are too. So BDS is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. It is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, for justice, for equality. It basically says, look, hey, Palestinians are humans like the rest of us. They deserve dignity. And it, it calls out Israel as the colonizing, uh, you know, occupying force. And it says, hey, boycott, divestment, and sanctions worked against South Africa, against their apartheid, and it should work against Israel. So it, said, it calls on, uh, it's a call from Palestinian civil society to say, hey, organizations and governments around the world, boycott Israel boycott their products, don't do business with them, divest your money from Israel, divest it from Israeli corporations, divest it from the Israeli government, and hey, and yeah, sanction, engage, and if you want to actually sanction somebody, sanction somebody who's doing bad, doing bad deeds, sanction somebody who is a, one of the premier human rights violators, um, you know, among uh, countries of the world, and so that's what, um, uh, I think it was launched in 2005, that's what BDS stands for, it's nonviolent, it is peaceful, but it says, hey, you know, if um, if the uh, the lone superpower of the world is not going to uh, do what it claims, you know, what it what it should do, which is actually uh, go against uh, human rights violators, then it is up to the rest of the world, governments and organizations and body politics around the world to hold Israel accountable. And so um, that's that's BDS. Uh, there's a lot of disinformation about it. There's a lot of misinformation, but it's completely nonviolent. And it says, look, it worked in South Africa. It can work in uh, apartheid Israel. Nice. That's that's a wonderful explanation. Um, now, uh, could could this been out of control? I mean, could it? Because what I'm seeing this time is more rockets coming from the Palestinian side. I mean, they they continue to they continue to defend themselves. Could this could this been? Do you see this spinning out of control, or do you just see uh, a, a ceasefire brokered and everything gets back to everything goes back to abnormal? Right, right. Um, well, uh, like you were implying, like abnormal would be you know at best you know if it goes back to abnormal, it is going back to you know the Palestinians uh, in Gaza living under siege, Palestinians in the West Bank getting their land eroded day by day, um, you know Palestinians throughout historic Palestine suffering from you know ethnic cleansing and ongoing colonialism. So yeah, that's um, you know that's eventually it will go back to that, um, and in the long term, BDS will be successful. I have no doubt about that. Uh, in my mind. But uh, yeah, it, there's always possibilities that uh, it will spin out of control. But I, I, I will not make any uh, predictions. I'm not uh, uh, one to do that. But I will say that there are, given the state of Arab unity that I've seen, it is rather encouraging. And the, for example, the, if you look at uh, Amman, the Jordanian capital and uh, the Jordanian uh, monarchy, which is anti-democratic uh, to its core. It is supported by CIA, by Pentagon, by, uh, by Paris, by London, and by Washington, D.C. as a you know, centerpiece of U.S. foreign policy. Um, the, the Jordanian people stand with Palestine. They have been marching in the streets. They've been marching in the streets in Amman, and they have marched actually up to the, uh, the Western borders with, uh, with the, you know, Israel. And uh, so th there can be encouraging uh, developments to come out of this. And one of those encouraging developments could be if the demonstrations get large enough. And keep in mind that the anti-democratic regimes that rule most of the uh, Arab countries, particularly the Arab Gulf, um, are terrified of their own populations. They have to use a variety of tricks to stay in power. Um, they uh, include, including a lot of propaganda. They are terrified of democracy. So, if the, if democratic movements throughout uh, the Arab world stand with Palestine and continue to stand with Palestine and grow, then one of the positive developments would be, for example, in Jordan, the um, cancellation of the Jordan-Israeli peace treaty that was signed in the '90s. Um, the Jordanian public had no say in that. 
they there was not uh, you know a referendum of any of any say it was the uh, corrupt Jordanian monarchy saying all right you know we'll keep the peace we'll keep our side uh, you know under control and in exchange we'll get you know favorable economic ties we'll uh, you know we'll normalize relations with uh, the apartheid state and we'll get uh, Western corporations to come into Jordan and uh, implement neoliberal economic policies and we will enrich ourselves as the Jordanian monarchs. And um, so one of the positive things could be that in, in Jordan um, or likewise in uh, Egypt. Now, Egypt's mm -hmm. been a little quieter, at least in the Arab press that I have uh, um, seen and covered. Um, but, you know, there, there, uh, there could be positive repercussions from this. And I try to, uh, although I am the consummate uh, pessimist, I try to remain optimistic on, uh, on at least this, uh, this end. Another pessimist. I love it. I can see a dark. <laughs> I can see a dark cloud on a clear sky. Um, so, so Christian, we've kept you for an hour now, um, and it it really feels like we barely scratched the surface, doesn't it, Arby? Uh, it, well, it, it it. But is there anything that you came into this interview wanting to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Maybe what you think our listen, a listener of our show might be able to do to, to maybe, you know, one listener won't do it, but if enough speak up, maybe we could see yeah. some movement of the needle. So whatever you think. That's a great, um, that's a great question. I would say that uh, BDS is, is a very, very powerful tool. And the Israeli state is terrified of it. They actually uh, established a whole new, uh, uh, position it was like the ministry of strategic affairs i believe that is now in charge of countering bds uh, throughout the world so absolutely engage in bds do what you can in your local community in your in the, in the state level in the regional level uh, boycott divest and sanction israel and um, uh, spread awareness make sure that uh, you are educating family friends loved ones about this um, and listen to Palestinian civil society. A lot of Palestinian websites are, uh, and they're not just in Arabic, they're in English too. And listen to what they're saying. They, uh, you know, they, uh, they're in the lead and they will liberate themselves. It's, it absolutely will happen. And the best things we can do is to listen to what they say, to amplify their voices and to, uh, uh, to support them in any way, any way we can. And BDS is one of those ways. Um, the other way would be, uh, you know, make sure, get our ruling class off their back. You know, the, the Israel acts with impunity. Israel has killed up to 200 people in Gaza in this, late, in this latest bombardment and acts with impunity because it is protected by the world's lone superpower, uh, United States of America. And so if we can create the rift between the U.S. ruling class and the, uh, the apartheid state of Israel, we can absolutely, um, you know, hold Israel to account. And Palestine, Palestine it, it will be free. It will be free in our lifetime. So, um, again, optimism, well, may, you know. maybe yours. <laughs> no gentlemen gentlemen jim and harvey you will uh you will absolutely see it I'm sure. <laughs> numbers, but, uh, yeah. no, i would I, put in a plug for that 972 podcast as well yes yes there, that's another that, thing is there are outstanding um uh jewish organizations uh some of which i mentioned if not now when um, 972 mag has many uh, jewish people writing for them um and there are uh you know, Jewish Voices for Peace. And so they do outstanding work on this, outstanding work. On yeah, this. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stay informed with, uh, through them by all means. I'm a, I'm a dues paying member of JPP. So. <laughs> good man. Very good, Harvey. You have to talk to me about a little bit that off offline. So uh, we've been listening to Christian Sorensen and this has been, del you know, how can I say delightful? This has been informative. This has been uh, marvelous. I think we've all got a better understanding of um, not only what's going on, but the motives behind and, uh, you know, just, um, well, if we can't predict, maybe other people can predict or see. Well, I, think what, I think what Christian's done for us is what we like to try to do on our show over various issues is provide context. Yeah so that people can make sense of all this random stuff there. Because you're clearly not getting it from the mainstream. No, movement. you're not going to get it from the mainstream. So, so Christian, um, we normally end with a song. Excellent. Uh, do you have a song that you'd like us to play? Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. But, I would say um, you can, you can, so you can cue this up. Like if I... Uh, 
Well, what I can do is I can look for it on YouTube and then I'll download it and add it to the end. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll email you a song. It's in um, um, it's in Arabic and then you can um, you can send that out. You can play that. Yeah, I, if I can find it, I can play it. Yeah, I'll see if I can um, if I can find a good one. And uh, what's the time frame on that? When do you need it like immediately or? Oh, you, uh, can you get it to me by Tuesday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll send it to you tonight. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much. And um, do you mind thanks. if we contact yeah. you later when we when because we'll need to have a discussion about Iran? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. No, absolutely. I'm uh, I really appreciate what you two do. I uh, I'm very excited about uh, about your work and I really, really appreciate you having me on. This is a this is a, a true treat on my end. You know, despite the grim topic, it is uh, it's a real pleasure. So thank you both. Well, thank you so much, Christian. Hey, have a good evening, all right? All right, you too. Take care. Wow. Uh, Harvey, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was... That was very helpful, I think. That was, yeah, that he was... Had, he was able to, you know, kind of provide, a, you know, a framework where you could see how things fit, fit in. Yeah. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, uh, <clears throat> oh, that was very good. I really enjoyed that. So far, yeah, I enjoyed that. I mean, because I, you can, you know, you can read the news all you want. It doesn't help you understand it. Mm -mm. Uh, and he, and he's, and he's looking at the reactions in the other countries. Yeah. He's not looking. Well. He's not. He's probably reading the Times, but he's probably reading. Um, the the newspapers in Jordan and and, and watching um, social media from Jordan and Egypt and Oman and uh, you know and so that's I mean yeah and so that's he's got a much I, you know I hadn't thought at all about that but like he's Jordan may be their their uh, weak underbelly <laughs> that's right it sounds like the Jordanian population is clearly uh, sympathetic with the plight of the Palestinian people. I mean, basically the, the West Bank uh, was you know, carved out of Jordan. Exactly. So, um, you know, so- East Jerusalem was under Jordanian sovereignty and so are, so are Al-Aqsa Mosque and the, all those sacred areas in East Jerusalem. They were part of, they were one time part of Jordan. Well, the, under the uh, partition, the okay. UN yeah. put together, yeah, Jordan was uh, the sovereign power in those areas. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the history and it is so complex. And the, this, the, these people that are native to that area have been so manipulated and so um, divided without input for a uh, more than a hundred years, <laughs> you know, since, you know, since, since uh, probably since, <laughs> probably since that first crusade in 1095. Yeah. So, well, and uh, the Ottoman Empire. And, yeah. And the British. Oh, the British. French. Oh, the British. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, all right. Big mess. Uh, it really is. We, you know, this is where, once again, Western Anglos should just stay home. Just stop. But, you know, some of the 